This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, I'm Helen Mark, and thanks for downloading this episode of Radio 4's Open Country podcast, a series that brings you fascinating stories from every corner of the UK countryside. We hope you enjoy it. Thursday's is such a renowned wave. I think location helps, because it's breaking front of this uh, old iconic castle. And the whole setup, the ruggedness of area and the remoteness. So you travel all this distance to this little spot at the very north of Scotland and you've got this wave that's travelled such a far distance to come here and break off this shallow flagstone reef. And the shape of the wave is it's, it's a hollow wave in the right conditions and it produces this amazing barrel breaks up the river mouth and it's, it can be quite a long ride in the right stage of tide and due to the power and its uniqueness it's just why it's uh, known around the world I've long associated the town of Thurso which is the most northerly town on mainland Scotland with the ferry crossing that goes from here over to Orkney it goes across the Pentine Firth where the swells of the Atlantic and the North Sea meet, and it creates famously rough conditions. But it's those swells that also make Thurso one of the best surfing spots in the country. Despite cold waters and very chilly winter weather, it's the quality of the waves that draws people to this remote spot and gets them hooked. And I can see why. There, there is a bleakness, but a, also a spectacular beauty to this landscape with its rugged coastlines. There is, within Thurzo and this landscape, a community of surfers. And from what I've been told, they're a pretty hardy bunch. I've walked down to the end of the harbour and I'm with Jason Simpson who has been a surfer here all his life, 30 years. <laughs> Thurzo is at the most northerly point of the mainland UK. So we're in a natural sort of bay here uh, between Dunnet Head, Holborn Head. So it's quite sheltered, but we've got the whole sea in front of us all the way to Iceland. What you're looking for ideally is all that big storm putting its energy into the sea that energy then travels, like if you drop the pebble into a pool of water, and it travels. And as it's travelling, it starts getting more organised, more uniformed, these ripples. They come all the way into our bay, and then they hit this flagstone reef, which is quite shallow. And because of the angle that the shelf breaks at, and because we've all got, so got a river mouth running into it, we get this nice hollow barling wave, which is known throughout the world as Thurzo East. We're talking about waters that are potentially very, very cold? Yeah. It's, it's in the winter is when we, we have our surf season. It's usually about October time it starts coming in. We've got, obviously, it's the, the cold, cold temperatures. We've also got the problem with it's only light from 9 o'clock in the morning and then it's dark again at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So you've only got a small window 
when you can surf in the winter mixed in with the cold wind chill it is quite unique how did you get into surfing started surfing when i was about 14 there was there was a group of about eight or ten of us that all sort of started at the same time so it was quite novel back in the 80s surfing in the uk anyway there was a club that started earlier, a few years before we started, and there was this equipment lying around, old boards, suits, and so on. What, what you just went out there? It was uh, it was quite difficult. When you look back then to what we've got now, uh, the wetsuits we had, they were terrible. That's if you could get a wetsuit. One of my friends, he used to actually go out with an Aberdeen goalkeeper's top. Couldn't get a wetsuit for him. I don't know how he didn't freeze to death. Uh, we didn't have much money back then either. There was no internet to buy equipment, so we used what was there. Uh, we couldn't get gloves, so we used to use our mum's marigolds for dishes. I don't know how anyone stuck to it, but we did. But since then, the technology involved with wetsuit manufacture is just light years from when we were kids, and you can stay in the water now as long as you want, really. So you're talking about being part of a club, for yeah. which I think you're now the president? Well, chairman. Of the North Shore Surf Club? That's right. I think it was four years ago, myself, Sheila Finlayson uh, decided to resurrect the club again for the third time. It was quite strange. There was a big group of us that started all the same age and we pushed each other on and there was that togetherness. But over years, there was very few children taking up the sport. And when you've got an asset on your doorstep like this and very few kids are, are trying it and you see loads of them hanging around the streets, obviously desperate for something to do, we decided but maybe we should try and put something back into the, the community. So we decided to start it off again. Mm-hmm. The Scottish Nationals uh, take place every April time. They used to tour around Scotland at different venues, but for the last few years, they've just decided to hold it in Thurzo due to the quality of the waves. And from that competition, the national team selected. So it's quite a big event. From the team that's been selected over the last few years, Quite a lot of them are from our surf club, the North Shore Surf Club, which is great to see. I'm Pat Kieran. I'm an engineer and I came up here as a student in 1976 to work at, at the Dunray Nuclear Power Station when it was still working as a nuclear power station. A grainy little article in a very early surf rag. And that's what brought me up in the first place. And the article was called Land of the Midnight Surf. And it was, I thought, yes, that's, that's kind of the, the, the romance of it brought me up here. We're looking out across Thurzo East. When you look at this, Pat, does it take you back to the earliest of days when you came here? Yeah, I came up on a motorbike with a surfboard strapped to the side. Because all I was thinking of were the waves. I wasn't really thinking of the job at Dunry at all. I was just thinking of getting up to a place that not many people had surfed before. I surfed at Thurzo East for a few years by myself really a lot of the time I had a few mates from Glasgow and a couple of local lads that we, we, we would surf the place together and five or six people in the water would be a crowd and I suppose 20 or so people in the water would be a crowd now I'm, I'm watching you thinking about all those years that you were on this water behind us is a very busy farmyard yeah. and there's construction going on, on on the cottages that are just a couple of hundred yards back from the shoreline yes now, this is a very special place in many ways. Yeah. After a couple of other places to live, I, I found this place here and uh, rented this cottage. A small cottage? Small cottage, as close to this particular wave as I could get. 
it became a kind of a pilgrimage. I'll get surfers coming up from all over the country and they'd stay, stay with me because the surfing community was a lot smaller than it is now. I'd be hosting surfers from Cornwall that come up and occasionally I'd go away for the weekend and I would just leave the place open and say just, just, just crash out on the floor and you would help yourself, you know. So I'd come back and uh, my cheese would be gone or, uh, <laughs> or I'd, I'd find sleeping bags on the, on the floor and a couple of surfers out in the water. So it's just that kind of place, kind of quite bohemian. Do you think that's because we are at the very northern edge of the Scottish landscape? You know, yeah, I think I, I look at the distance uh, to get up here as a, kind of like a filter. Uh, not as much of a filter as it was because the roads are better but it's certainly in the 70s and 80s the distance was a filter it filtered out people that weren't that keen or you know that were just like style surfers or whatever it's more of a hardcore surfers place you were a bit of a pioneer though i know you weren't the first no. but you were pioneering in that you brought other people you encouraged other mm-hmm. people to come and try this wave and and this northern shoreline really which is which is a surfer's paradise well i did actually deliberately try to get people to surf with me no surfer would believe that was possible today that somebody would be looking for other people to surf with these days because it's so hard to get a good wave to yourself even up here now a wave like this can only take one surfer at the most maybe two on a long long wave so once somebody's caught a wave no one else should really be getting onto it when i first started surfing here there'll be a lot of times when i'll be surfing like eight ten foot waves by myself probably wasn't very wise so I put out a letter which I think is passed into legend kind of spoof letter to the the Northwest Surf Club which is the Northwest of England Surf Club where I come from asking for surfers to come and help me surf this fantastic break give me some company you know and you just wouldn't believe that anybody would have to do that these days there isn't a, a break like this in the world where you'd be looking for company so just behind you we have the cottages which are being renovated, but mm-hmm. they weren't like that when you when you first came. I mean, no. you must have thought at the time, oh, this this is a perfection, having somewhere to rest my head beside yeah. the shore that I love to surf. It was rough. It was, a, it was a surfer's kind of hovel, really, you know. But I would clean the windows when I couldn't see the surf. And to the right you can see the what looks like a brand new piece of the building, but that was the barn. I used to shape surfboards in there. Um, cut, you know, shape them out of foam and I glassed them you put fiberglass and resin on them <laughs> I glassed them in my spare bedroom so the smell was horrendous but I don't know if to this day whether the, the estate knew what I was doing <laughs> they, probably could, they could probably smell it through the windows I went to, in a few years ago and you could still see the outline shaped surfboard shaped outline uh, on the floor where the glass had dripped off you know. It's part of the building's history. I think you should just keep it there. It should be, yeah, it should, it should be a natural heritage <laughs> sign outside or something. What's it brought to your life, the discovery of this wave? It's, it's brought me a lot of fun and an, and an attitude to life. Probably, maybe if I hadn't discovered it, I might have had a different, more regimented attitude to life. I don't know. You know, you don't know whether it's nature or nurture. But uh, I think it's brought me here, that's for sure. And I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world. We're just walking towards um, an area of construction where they're building a new clubhouse, I think it'll be, for the North Shore Surf Club. And this is quite a step forward for the whole surfing community, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. It really is massive. It's been a long time coming. And this is where we're going to be judging from. This is fantastic. I've not seen this before. 
This is amazing. Huge viewing windows at the front. Fantastic. I'll take and a bit of cleaning though, Pat. Oh, oh well, that's try. Yeah, well, that's my job. <laughs> and, but what you've got here is quite a sophisticated system where people can be judged on the waves in front of us, but yeah. they can use the facilities for changing. changing Could you ever yeah. have thought? It deserves it. The waves and the surfers deserve this facility. I think um, the surfing community have got a debt of gratitude to pay for the to, to the Rotary Club who've been behind supporting this. They understand how important it is for the community to develop this yeah. connection with, with their sea. That's right. Mm -hmm. that surfing's gone from a bunch of wasters like myself and my mates in the 70s to a respected, it's a respected sport these days. It's an Olympic sport now. Yes, yeah. how exciting is Fantastic, that? it's incredible. Yeah. It'd be amazing to think that one of uh, a Scottish surfer could be part of the uh, British team. You've got all the right kit with you. Check you've got your wetsuit. Surfboards are always on the rack. Never leave home without at least two. It's when you're most in a frenzy that everything gets stuck and caught to each other. This is my work van, but it, yeah, it's a surf van because it's daily use van, so it needs to be able to go to the sea at any point. My name's Chris Clark, born in London. I eventually landed in Scotland, in Thurso. Kind of got stuck after my first visit. I ended up here, living here about six months later. I'm coach of the Scottish national team and national champion for Scotland on longboards. So the wave is clearly epic the water is epic but then in summer you're spearfishing the fishing's amazing the foraging the wildlife you know i'm quite a keen bird watcher and you get epic wildlife killer whales dolphins being in that environment is just tops it all off surfing's a funny fickle one and if you want to surf good waves then you've kind of got to pay your dues pay your respects and put your time in a lot of the world is busy hot places with good waves are really busy if you want to serve really good waves then maybe there is a compromise you know to keeping it a bit quieter and if people put a lot of time and effort into surfing this i you know could probably count on one hand the amount of swells i've missed in the last however many years do you know you know being in there on those days and then say then joe blog's tourist turns up paddles past me and my friends then it's like, well, no, you've not paid your respects. You've not paid attention. You know, it's sit inside, take your time, pay your dues. Then you can start getting waves. Then you'll start getting given waves. One of the amazing things about up here is, and the Scots in general, I think, is they're, they're kind of stern-faced to start with, but they, they get really annoyed if you don't chat to them. <laughs> they want to know who you are, what you're doing, where you're doing. And if you're that way out, then you get on, I think, up here. I normally paddle in the back, round the back of Thurso East, waiting for a gap in the waves, a lull, and then on your board and just bolt for it. And the sound's always kind of muffled. We're always wearing hoods, so you've basically got your fingers in your ears or you're wearing earplugs because we all got surfers here and basically can't hear anything anymore. So then you're waiting, I guess, waiting for your set. Normally here there's like... 30 mile an hour wind in your face spray going up flat out as hard as you can till you feel yourself going hop to your feet open your eyes you're either free falling into doom or 
just about to make it. You, you can tell when you're in it because you just hear this like suck noise. It's like being in a helicopter. So it's kind of the noise just disappears. When you're in the tube, you're not thinking about it. The only way you're going to ever make it is by being completely mindful in stillness. You spent 15 years teaching yourself how to do it. And you have to let your body do it. <laughs> so it's like disappearing inside of a, something that's moving and churning and squeezing and could potentially tear your arms off or smash your face up or do whatever even like the best ones are the ones that it kind of spits on you and goes and then you you can't see anything your eyes are stinging you open your eyes and then you just see this little glimmer of light and then come out again and you're back out into the world again Surfers are always searching for the best conditions. If there's a good swell, they're guaranteed to be out on the water. I'm with a group who are on the hunt for the best place to surf near Thurzo this evening. I'm Marcel Lockhart and this is my son, Craig McLachlan. Hello, Craig. Hello. You're 13? Yeah. And a pretty good surfer from what I've heard. <laughs> eh, Mum? <laughs> yes, you've been doing pretty well over the last couple of years, haven't you? Yeah. Since you started surfing. You're at currently the Scottish under-18 boys champion and the under-14s champion. So also with us in the car park, before we head over the big sand dunes down to the open sea, we have, hello, Sheila, Sheila Findlayson. Okay. I got to know Sheila mostly when my daughter started surfing and Sheila would take her out. So we just really became good friends through doing that. And often, most days, there's a message or a call going to check waves or where we're going to go. Well, people go surfing who like surfing the same waves, so it's, it transcends age, which is lucky for me, because I'm quite ancient, really, but there's, um, there's myself and there's Shona and Craig. We quite often surf together, because we like surfing the same sort of stuff. Yeah. It's a bit of an addiction, surfing. So you just tend to... Afford, you, you naturally form communities. Yeah. <laughs> I feel kind of like with surfing, everybody helps each other yeah, to learn how to be better. You, it's not like you're just kind of learning from yourself. You're just kind of getting tips from everyone. You know, there's a love of doing the same thing in the same environment. So people will surf in different packs if they enjoy different types of waves, essentially. And your tastes change as you get older, as you get younger, as you get stronger, as you get weaker. The thing we've had to do is, in a way, abandon where we were going to go surfing mm -hmm. and clamber into cars and head along the coastline we headed west so we've moved from Caithness into Sutherland that kind of happens all the time with us we'll often turn up and you look and it's just like no that's not surfable or you think it's going to be better somewhere else so then just drive there has been many occasions when we've driven an hour an hour and a half and you it doesn't get any better and then you go back <laughs> and then end up surfing where you started in the first place. It's not like a golf course. You can't just rock up and it's going to be there. It's called the search and you, you, you have to, you know, you have to follow it. What are we so doing down there? We, we walk up over the top of this really short, cropped dune top and then suddenly in front of us we've got this deep U-shaped bay and the lovely big smooth curling over waves in front of us I know it's not the best of surfing days but when I see that it's beautiful, it's beautiful. It? yes yes it's good for your soul you know 
and they're breaking quite well here compared to where we are in Thurso. It was very much more choppy. These are nice, smooth, curling waves, very well organised, and the wind's offshore, so it's making the waves stand up. I'm waxing my board so it's more stickier because if you didn't have it on, it's a really slippery surface. What made you want to go into the water like this in the first place, a young chap like you, when maybe your friends at school are doing other things? Um, none of my friends really surf. I only have one or two. The only reason I started it was because of my sister. I thought it looked pretty cool. It's quite unusual that you're a surfer then. Yeah. Not really anybody in my school surfs. Everybody else is playing like football and stuff. But they know the waves are there and they see other people surfing... Yeah. You think that would entice them out? Yeah. I guess they just have a different idea of what they what to do. Maybe they just don't like going into water that's like two degrees warm. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that! That's a lot bigger than two, three foot. Oh, what I see is uh, really good breaking waves, um, really attractive offshore. Can't believe it. We haven't been able to surf for. Oh, days, days. So we're feeling it's a bit like going without food. We're <laughs> to get in there. We're starving of sir. We are starving of sir. Off they go. <laughs> now they're set off at a sprint. Surfboards under their arms, and we're walking across um, clean sand. And all they leave behind them is this long line of their footprints as they now head onto the slightly wetter sand. And then beyond them, they are racing to catch what I think are a good set of waves. Look, that's two different generations passionate about the same thing, seeking out that that wondrous thing that we've come to understand surfing is, that elemental experience that you're going to get when you're out in the waves. What's happening now, Marcel? Craig and Sheila are just paddling out into the waves. They're quite big, much bigger than you'd expect from the top of the hill. Um, a probably good head height, um, in surf terms so they're still just trying to get out through the white water just now sometimes one of the hardest bits we see getting out back um, and especially if you're on a beach you can't get round the side of the wave so you have to go under it which is called a duck dive and I think they've done quite well yes All and right. they're almost out back already now which is not bad you need to be quite a strong paddler really strong arms to do that oh here's a really big There's one there one coming in they are completely dwarfed yeah. by that it's they? awful when you don't can't see them. They're just behind that white water there. But because you're low down on the beach, that's to say you quite often can't see them until they're actually on a weave. Those anxiety moments must I be know. awful. There we are. I can just see when the black see a black, I know. Up. When you see a wee bit, there ha- I've had many moments where I've absolutely hated it and been jumping up and down trying to scream at them to come in and they just ignore you or don't see you, thinking they can't be out in that. That's far too big. <laughs> There's Craig on a weave now. Yeah. That's him going along. Sliding down. A top turn. Oh, that's that's super. And the cut back and round. round. Oh, that's (laughs) great. We're going to get the reaction now, just having come out of the water. Hello. Hi. Well. (laughs) Much harder work than I thought it would be. There's quite a lot of white water. So it it makes it difficult to get outside. It was all right. It's pretty windy and stuff, so it wasn't too great. It's a good feeling when you come out of the water. Generally, if you manage to scoot along a wave, even though you're only up for a few seconds, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. It's just nice being in the sea. 
quite often it's really bonny out there and you know you're looking back at the landscape and it's like being on a wee boat and it's gorgeous if you're feeling really frustrated and then you go and battle against the ocean it puts everything into perspective and it's a beautiful thing to do and it's exciting there's lots of adrenaline and rush with it but I think Scotland adds an extra flavour and, and culture to surfing you know it's a lot tougher the water's is a lot harder the conditions are a lot less forgiving it's a lot more challenging in some ways and it gives people a completely different experience I mean, there are people now surfing in Iceland and the top of Norway and everywhere there's people surfing in ice flows watching the northern lights it's just gone mad there's people surfing at night there's people surfing up rivers we're surfing everywhere